Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Now, some of you might remember a man named Stanley Johnson. And if you're racking your brain right now, thinking, how do I know Stanley Johnson? And thinking, maybe I'm talking about one of your neighbors. I'm just gonna show you a little video clip here, kind of jog your memory. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four bedroom house in a great community. Like my car, it's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LendingTree.com, banks compete, and you choose the loan that's right for you. When banks compete, you win at LendingTree.com. Now, I saw that commercial, and I thought Stanley Johnson might be from Geneva, right? (laughs) That might actually be my neighbor. He has a great family. He's got a four-bedroom house in a great community, a new car. He belongs to the local golf club. He's got it all, but there is a problem. He's in debt up to his eyeballs. And chances are we've either been in Stanley's shoes or we know someone who has been. We have felt the weight of debt. In fact, in our culture, debt is often seen as something inevitable. It's kind of a necessary evil. This summer, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer. We've been studying it line by line to better understand how Jesus taught us how to pray. And today, as we continue this series, we come to this line that says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And although Jesus is using debt as a metaphor for sin, it drives home this point of our need to be relieved from a debt. But we might look at this and say, what is this debt we even need to ask forgiveness for? And what does it even feel like to be forgiven of a debt? And how does that change the way that I interact with other people around me who are in debt to sin as well? And if we started last week's message thinking, why do I have to pray something over and over again? I might look at this week's message and think, how can I ever be forgiven of the things that I do over and over again. So before I go too far into this idea of debts, I do want to address what some of you might be thinking here and the ways that you learned the Lord's Prayer and whether you learned it with the same words or not, right? Using this word debt. So when I was a kid, I would go to church with my grandmother sometimes, and then I would go to another church kind of in our neighborhood. And in one church we said debts, and in the other church we said trespasses. So I learned at a really young age that I could either hold my breath during that word, or I could just mutter something incomprehensible and kind of make it work. And I always wondered why these two churches said something different. Well, we have a man named William Tyndale to thank for this. Tyndale was a great English reformer who first translated the Bible into English from the Hebrew and Greek texts. And even though both Greek and Latin New Testaments used words in Matthew 6:12 that were debt language, and earlier church fathers and translators used words that meant debt, in this verse, for some reason, Tyndale preferred the word trespasses. 
and it stuck. So that said, it doesn't hurt us to think of debt as both something that we are indebted to God because of sin and also trespassing into territory that we really don't belong in. So last week, as Clayton addressed how God provides for our daily bread, we can all acknowledge that, that we have needs for tangible things, something physical or something tangible. But now as Jesus gives this example of asking for forgiveness, it may be for something that we don't even realize that we do. I recently heard a story about a woman named Rhonda. Rhonda was involved in a minor car accident. And as the police officer was about to let her go, they'd cleaned up all of the scene of the accident. He's handing her back her driver's license and he tells her, actually, you have a suspended license and there is a warrant out for your arrest due to an unpaid debt that she was completely unaware of. So she goes to get this cleared up. She's, the debt turns out to be due to not canceling a recurring charge for a yoga class. And it had racked up over $1,000 in unpaid fees. And because of laws in the state of Maryland, there was a warrant out for her arrest that she was completely unaware of because of a yoga class. <laughs> now, when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, he's saying that we all have a debt to pay. And if you think about the ways that we end up in debt, maybe we borrow something, right? Or we receive something, with an expectation of a return. Maybe we owe for damages to someone's property. Maybe we owe respect or a duty of some kind. If you borrowed your parents' car and you got in a car accident, I would hope you would feel responsible enough to make an offer to pay for it, to have a debt to them. And sin, then, is the actions and attitudes that damage the things that God made and that he owns and that he loves. Sin damages people. Sin damages relationships. It damages the world we live in. God has entrusted all of us with our life, with our world, with the relationships, with the people that he loves. And when we mess those up, we owe him for the damages. And based on those terms, I can see my indebtedness to God because of my sin. I can look at those things and think, sure, I can see a debt that I have, except for when I can't. Because I'm a pretty good person, right? I do good things. I teach kids. I haven't done anything major that would mean that I owe a debt to anyone. Now, we teach a class around here called Financial Peace University. Some of you have probably been a part of it, where we teach people about how to get out of a financial debt. And before we even begin to help someone, they have to realize and recognize that their debt is actually a problem. That being in debt to someone somehow restricts our freedom, and by recognizing our debt, we can begin to solve the problem. So before we go anywhere else, we have to recognize our debt. We have to recognize that we have a debt. Now, every week in Kids World, we give our elementary kids, our first through fifth graders, the opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing and might be speaking to them. 
We call this our response time. We give them about seven to 10 minutes and we allow them to go to different response stations in the room and one of those stations is labeled confess. And the idea is that they would search their hearts and their minds and consider what sin might need to be confessed to God. And now, I wanna give you some examples of some of the confessions that we've gotten in the past because sometimes it's hard for kids to think of ways they might have sinned, but some of them that we have gotten have said, when I go to bed at night, I call my mom because then I don't have to go to sleep. (laughs) True story. Remember, these are the kids, not me. I pick my nose and eat it. We get that one quite often, actually. Another, another frequent flyer confession. I don't brush my teeth. <laughs> Parents, you gotta check. Make sure they're actually brushing their teeth. And my personal all-time favorite, I took a picture of it because I loved it so much, is right here. I had more than the serving size of Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> Same, kid, right? Me too all the time. And we can laugh at those confessions because they seem so small. I mean, as if I would find myself in major debt to sin because of any one of those things that was just described by a six to 10 year old. But there's an underlying issue to each one of those confessions that are actually heart level issues disobedience, shame and hiding, gluttony and addiction. When it's calling for mom, we can giggle, but when we examine our own hearts and find that we gossip or we blame others as a way to deflect our own sins, that feels heavier. When it's about boogers or toothbrushes, we chalk it up to bad hygiene But when it's hiding a bad habit or neglecting to establish a habit of continually being authentic and transparent, the hiding suddenly became more serious. Now we laugh off the common love for sleeves of thin mints, but when we examine the things that we're actually addicted to or that we overindulge in, our phones, social time, pornography, gluttony, has a name that feels as heavy as the debt that we owe. So now we have a problem. Because in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, which means what we've earned is death. That there's a heavy consequence when we turn away from the giver of life. That's what we deserve. And we certainly then have a debt. So when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he knows our debt of sin and he knows it's going to be a daily issue. I might put my phone down today, but tomorrow I'm gonna pick it back up again. Once we recognize that we have this debt that we need to be forgiven of, we have a choice. We can continue to be a living contradiction that who we want to be doesn't match who we are, and you might be okay with that. You know, you might sit in self-pity, hopeless in your sin and with your situation, or, or we can own up. 
And we can ask for forgiveness. We can own up to our sin and ask for forgiveness. If we think again about this comparison to financial debt, if we've recognized our debt and now we're owning up to it, once we see the problem, your next step is to make a list of all of your financial debts. It's time to own up to what you owe. It's, it, in terms of sin, we call it confession. Because at the root of our, of our sin is a failure to fully love God and to fully love others. When we think about sin, God's asked us to do two things throughout the entire Bible. If we look at the Ten Commandments, which we often point to as our moral standard to measure our sin, half of the commandments have to do with loving God, and half of them have to do with the way that we love others. When Jesus gives us the great commandment, he tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He tells us to fully love God and fully love others. So when, we come, when it comes to owning up to our sin, when it comes to confessing, those words can be pretty handy as prompts to your confession. So when you confess in prayer, this is a good list to go through, to consider and ask yourself how you may have sinned in your heart, your soul, your mind, with your strength, or against your neighbor. So in your heart, have you used love as currency in any way? Have you withheld or rewarded people as a way of manipulating them? In your soul, am I doing what I do for God's glory and for the good of others, operating in humility, or am I driven by fears or a false sense of what's good? Am I connecting with God and in step with the Holy Spirit, or am I too busy to consider my own soul? In your mind, have I been anxious about anything? Have I made my own plans instead of surrendering them to God? In your strength, Have I been forceful or have I abused power somewhere? And finally, against your neighbor, have I neglected to fully love and honor the people around me? Have I avoided people because of my own self-interests? Have I judged or not seen others as God would see them? You might take this, you might make a list in a journal. That's a really great way to kind of keep track of all those things. You might just quietly consider how it is you need to own up to your sin. I would encourage you, when you write it down and you commit to praying over it, you can actually see the changes to both your self-control in that area and your heart towards what might be the root cause. So writing it down is a really good practice to go with. But also, if you, as you... Confess as an individual, there may be times when you may need to find someone to confess to and to practice confession with. I am always amazed when I have the opportunity to practice confession with other women at the commonality of our confessions. We struggle with the same things. And although it doesn't make them okay, it helps to bring things into the light when others are brave enough to do it as well. If you're wondering, when do I confess with or to another person, I would say a good, some good rules are if it's something that feels shameful. If it's something, there would be a release and a freedom if you let someone else into it. There would be a benefit to finding a safe person to confess to. If it's a repetitive sin in your life, something that you need to break free from and confessing to someone would provide accountability 
and a way to break from that rhythm of that sin, then you need to find a person or a support group that could help hold you accountable. And if it's something that it would help you to fully accept and recognize the love of God by hearing someone say, God still loves you, then confessing to another person would probably hold some benefit for you. And remember, if you are the person receiving that confession, you have a big responsibility. You need to love well. Don't heap shame or minimize or absolve the person of the sin. It's really tempting to say, oh, that's okay, I do that too. But it's still not okay because it is still sin. But it is your job to listen to them and to assure them of God's promises in the midst of it. Now, some of the ways that we fail to fully love God and to fully love others may fall also into what we call like a corporate sin. It's something that as a collective group, we have a bent or a tendency for. And as a church, that's kind of where we bring in those words, us and our, forgive us, our debts. And sometimes we pray over and we confess ways that we've corporately not loved people well. And so there's also value in seeing our part in something that's maybe a larger sinful attitude and confessing that to God. So some of you uh, might remember as a child or with your own kids, when you wronged another kid on the playground, right? Or you hit your sibling, some, some good slug in there. And the first thing that your parents said was, say your sorry, right? And generally your response was probably something like, sorry, (laughs) which in no way conveys sorrow for what you have done, right? Not in a verbal or in a nonverbal way. Now I vowed as a parent that we were not going to do that in our house. So in our house, on those rare occasions when my nearly perfect children, (laughs) who are sitting right over here in case you wondered, my nearly perfect children wrong one another, we don't immediately turn to say you're sorry. We decided at a young age that the phrase to use would be, I'm sorry for, will you please forgive me? And that the phrase only comes when it can come in an authentic way, when there's been a realization of the wrong that's been done and a a heart change, a desire to apologize. Now that extra cooling time, it works in our kids' favor. It also works in the authenticity of the offender. The offended child is able to receive the apology and move forward, which somehow seems easier when the argument is over what color cup you got at the dinner table than over a, a sin issue. The added naming of an offense and following with an ask of forgiveness adds enough weight to the moment that it's more likely to produce a change in future behavior. So when we name something and we think through it and ask for forgiveness, it adds a weight that changes our behavior. Now adding, naming what we're guilty of is step one and then there's still this work to be done when we pray forgive us our debts. And that comes in this word repentance. Now the word repent is both a noun and a verb. The noun is the decision when someone realizes they need to repent and the verb is the action of actually doing something about it. So it would be like if you planned a vacation and then you actually went on the vacation. 
Now, if our confession doesn't lead to repentance, then it's simply sorrow over what we've done. The word repent, it actually has an action of turning away from sin. And if sin is turning away from God, turning away from the giver of life, and not fully loving God and loving others, then to repent means I'm turning around and I'm facing him. One of the greatest repenters in the Bible was King David. In Psalm 38, he wrote these words. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me because of your wrath. There is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a, like a burden too heavy to bear. Those are strong words. Have you guys ever felt that way before? Ever been overwhelmed by guilt or shame for something that you've done? The debt can just feel overwhelming. But listen to how David then ends this psalm. He says, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my inequity. I'm troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me. Though I seek only to do what is good, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. This is where the news gets really good. Because when we recognize and we take account of our debt and we own up to it with a godly sorrow, a realization that we have not fully loved God and others, and we make the decision to turn toward God, to repent of our sin, this is what changes everything. So when my son Micah was three years old, I found a little tuft of hair hidden under a hat in his bedroom one day. I recognized this as his own hair, and after a quick search of the house, I found Micah in hiding. He was afraid of the punishment he might receive for cutting his beautiful blonde hair. Now I showed him what I had found, and I asked him what he had done as if it wasn't obvious from the tuft of hair in my hand and the bald spot right about here on his head. He looked at me, took that little tuft of hair out of my hand, and he looked at me with these big wide eyes and he thrust the little tuft of hair up towards me. (laughs) And at that moment, as his parent, I had a choice. I could have continued to stand, holding my size and my authority over him and told him how disappointed I was and what a bad kid he was for cutting his own hair when I'm certain I had told him not to do that. Or, or, I could kneel down at his level and I could take that now useless tuft of hair and hold his hands and say, we can fix this. We can fix this. It might mean you have to sit and get a haircut. (laughs) And your hair, it won't look like it did before, but we can fix this. And I'm not as concerned about your hair 
as I am about the fact that you felt like you had to hide. Now, I do have to show you that since then, Micah has not cut his hair, <laughs> nor has he ever let anyone else cut his hair. But this moment, we can fix this. That's what God, who's our Father, does for us. When we repent of our sins, when we turn towards him, when we open-handedly confess and repent, the word used here in this phrase, forgive us our debts, literally means to send away from, to completely release, to liberate. In other words, complete freedom from sin. The same King David who wrote Psalm 38, he later identifies the character of God in Psalm 103, he says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In his compassion and in his justice, God sent his son Jesus to pay this debt that we could not pay on our own. This is why we can pray, forgive us our debts. Because in his compassion and mercy and still within his justice, God gave us Jesus to be a sinless substitute, perfectly fully loving God and perfectly fully loving man who died on the cross to pay the debt that we cannot pay. He came down to us and he said, we can fix this. And if you are surrendered to Christ, you are united with him and with all he has done for us. The Bible says that we have been crucified with Christ, we have been buried with Christ, and raised with Christ. And if you are in Christ, this is now the defining truth of who you are. In Financial Peace, Dave Ramsey has coined a phrase. He says, you need to live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. He says, once that you have paid off all of your debt, then you need to be generous. And the same is true of our forgiveness of sin. If we know our identity as one who is in Christ and our debt has been paid, we know how it feels to be forgiven, and here's where we come to the second part of this line in the Lord's Prayer, as we have also forgiven our debtors. When we know the freedom of forgiveness, when we have recognized our debts, owned up to them, and experienced forgiveness, we now need to be generous in our relationships. This is where we have to be generous in our relationships. How many of you guys have seen Toy Story 4? Put your hand up. Okay, so there's a little, Clayton and I have a little debate on this because Clayton has not seen it yet, okay? Uh, so he had to be convinced that the plot line that I'm about to spoil is totally worth it. Um, I am an avid Pixar fan. I saw it on opening day, and I feel like enough $5 Tuesdays have passed that y'all could see it by now. Okay? 
So here's the thing. I, if you're waiting for the DVD, if you are someone who says you have to wait a year before you use an example in a sermon, then I'm going to tell you you can plug your ears right now, okay? Um, I'll wave my hands like this. I'll do something like that, you know, just so you know when I'm done if you don't want the spoiler. So if you don't want the spoiler, go ahead. Right now would be the time. Just kind of plug your ears right there. So Woody is the classic toy. He's the cowboy. He's been well played with, well loved for multiple generations. In fact, he's been handed down from one generation to the next. So he's experienced love beyond what most toys have experienced. His pull string voice box has been used. It's brought joy to kids for years and years. There's a snake in my boot has echoed through many homes at this point. So in the movie, he encounters a Gabby Gabby doll, and she's never been played with because her voice box has never worked. And as a sad and hurting toy, she's revealed as the villain. She's trying to trap Woody and trap his voice box to steal it as her own. And in the midst of this struggle, Woody realize, realizes his voice box does not define who he is. He knows his identity and he is secure in that. So he chooses to sacrifice. He gives Gabby Gabby his own voice box so that she too can enjoy what he has enjoyed. This chance to be played with and to be loved. All right, if your ears were plugged, you can stop now, we're good. And this is the, this is the, the storyline of someone who's been forgiven, who's been deeply loved, who knows that and then can forgive their debtors, can be generous and can give love to other people. When we know our debt's been forgiven, we can forgive others. When we are debt-free, it doesn't feel like a lot to give something away to someone else. It might be costly or difficult, but it's not threatening to us. We are secure. Our freedom means we can live as freely forgiven people who forgive freely. Now think about those places in your life where you have not forgiven someone. Could you walk away from that story or that situation with your own identity in Christ intact? Are you writing a story where you have something to protect, where you're holding something or hiding it, maybe for some kind of, of power with fists clenched, or maybe you're the hero, maybe you've made yourself the person whose hands on your hips filled with pride, maybe you're the villain, maybe there's, there's something that you get from this, and you're holding on to a debt. The truth is, just like Woody in Toy Story 4, you are none of those things. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, you are deeply loved, and you are deeply forgiven. Just as you can come to God, you can ask for forgiveness from your debt. Those who wronged you can come to you asking for forgiveness, and you can give it away because as a debt-free person, you then can be generous in your relationships. When my son was in fourth grade, uh, we had a morning that held a whole host of opportunities to repent. That's what we'll call that. I was not loving him well, he was not loving me well, and most of those feelings were coming out at a volume that I'm a little ashamed to admit. I'm pretty sure that I had played the hero, the victim, and the villain all at the same time and all before 8.15 a.m. 
And by the time I dropped him off at school, a little bit late, I was struggling with forgiveness, struggling with both the humility to ask for it from God and with forgiving my son for the way that he had treated me, the way he had behaved that morning. And his teacher could see it in my eyes as I dropped him off in his classroom. And so since she was a Christ follower, she knew I was a Christ follower, she took me into the hall and she said, I know you love your son, but today specifically, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna challenge you to pray as well that you would love him the way God loves him. Ouch. When you find yourself writing the story She was completely right. Prayer is the place to surrender that pen to God. Because just as he forgives the the debt that we confess and repent of, he's generous to us as we wrestle through the challenge of forgiving other people who have wronged us. The temptation might be to pray for that person to change. But as we repent And as we turn toward God in the full realization of our own identity in Christ as one who is loved and forgiven, we need to surrender and confess that there's a story we may have written about the other person's identity. When When we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it doesn't say anything about make the the other person change. So start off by being very honest in your prayer with God about how you feel. You don't need to sugarcoat it. Because just as your confession was truth-telling, you need to tell God about your hurt and your anger and your frustration. When you pray and ask for forgiveness from sins, your intimacy with God grows. And you can be confident that he loves you dearly. And then ask God to show you how he sees that person. You might say, God, I know you love me even though I sinned against you. I know you love this person like you love me, and I'm having a hard time doing that. So give me your eyes to see them the way that that you do. What they did to me is wrong, but I want to see them with your love and compassion. And recognize that this may not happen overnight. This might be an ongoing prayer as God changes your heart toward the person and helps you to see them with love and compassion so that you can be generous in your relationships with them. And as you're faithful in prayer, as God continues to show his grace and his justice, as you confess your hurts, you'll experience the fullness of the gospel. Christ with you and Christ for you. Christ in you. Before we extend forgiveness and grace to others, we first have to experience that ourselves. I told you a few moments ago um, that in, in kids' world, we do this response time with our kids. And so I want us to have the opportunity to do that right now. We're going to take some time to respond to what God might be speaking to you right now. So we're going to take a few moments. At first, we're just going to examine our own hearts. Where have we sinned? What do we need to confess? This is kind of like, it's like emptying your pockets before God, right? Pulling out all of the sins. And to take a posture of that, we're actually going to take our hands and hold them out palms down to start. As we take some time of confession. So we're going to take a moment between you and God to just examine and confess our sins.
And now with your hands still extended, we're gonna turn them palms up. So we're, we're actually repenting with our hands. We're literally turning them around, open-handed, vulnerable before God. And in these next few moments of quiet, I want you to receive the grace that God has for you. Consider what that means as you walk forward, as you leave this place, living in light of what Jesus has done and generously extending it to other people. Let's take a few moments and do that. God, we open-handedly receive your grace, your forgiveness. And we pray that we could be people who then generously extend it to others. Amen.